This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Welcome back to the show this week. We have Bobby Torres of Frightbox Studios, as well as Voidscape, a brand new project. Well, it's actually not new, as we'll learn, but their most recent EP came out on the various industries, and it features my bandmate, Justin Spaeth, on drums, as well as Mike Goncalves of Replicant, Windfarer, Putrescentrin, Grimace, a bunch of bands. Really cool guys, a great record called Odyssey of Spite, and uh, definitely check it out. They just played their first show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Bobby, aside from being in that band, is uh, a great recording engineer and mixer, and he has uh, done two of Tombs' releases recently, Under Sullen Skies and Monarchy of Shadows, as well as a host of other bands, other metal and extreme bands in the area. Before we get started, I want to shout out my fellow horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. On Monday, we have Brandon Legion bringing us Horror Wolf 666. On Tuesday, the best, greatest metal podcast on the internet. Of course, that's Into the Necrosphere, brought to you by Jackie Smith on Tuesdays. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black. I return on Thursday. Necro Thursday with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. Either one of us or all three of us will get together occasionally and talk about horror movies. Sunday, Carl Hikara comes at you with all things dark. Soul Knox is his podcast. And he and I are embarking on a collaborative project called Darkness Weaves, where we alternate episodes each month and cover the work of Carl Edward Wagner. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by listening, first and foremost, sharing it with your friends, or by joining the burgeoning Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the show and get access to a host of weekly bonus content. For $5 a month, you get all the bonus content plus early access to the regular stream. For $25 a month, you can be a sponsor, and I will read copy for you at the head of one episode a month it could be anything a band your business another podcast some sort of project anything and uh yes i am trying to remember to mention that we have a social media presence and you should follow us on instagram twitter you know you can follow me on twitter i don't really tweet that much but i'm on there for the time being at least facebook and also, leave us a review, five-star, if you will, on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you choose. Yeah, dude, it was great running into you last night in my uh, sort of um, 
unexpected visit to you guys practice. <laughs> <laughs> and we found your watch. I don't know if you know, we found your watch. Oh yeah, man, dude. I, um, Ninja told me he found it in the garbage. <laughs> he did, which is crazy. I don't know how that would have happened. I guess, I don't know. Somebody threw it out by accident, which is crazy. Well, I can, I can tell you exactly how it happened. Actually. Um, the, I usually take off my watch and I put it on that mic stand or that, oh. that, um, the music stand. And that just happened to be right by the garbage. Oh, and I guess like somehow it fell in there, you know, it was, I was, you know, rocking out too hard last night, the other <laughs> night and must've fallen into the garbage. And I was like, damn, but yeah, that yeah. was funny, man. Dude. Good thing he found that. Cause that's something that could have easily gone missing forever, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, I like those watches too. Those like, they're those cool, like tactical looking watches, you know? Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for having me. Dude, it's been a long time coming, man. And um, I've been meaning to have you on to talk about a variety of things. But uh, this seems, you know, with the Voidscape uh, EP out, yeah, this is uh, very timely. I think that when you come here as a guest and we talk about that, we talk about the studio, we talk about your channel yep. and all that kind of stuff. Hell yeah, you know man. I mean? I'm ready. Yeah. So Voidscape, it's been sort of a... Um, a long-term project that's been in the works for a while, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it's something that started kind of just as a little kind of fun side. I had, you know, here's the thing. I have a bunch of riffs that I always record, and then I don't do anything with them, right? Because <laughs> I have my main band, which is called King Kelly, and we had been pretty much inactive for the past eight years. Now we're doing stuff again. But throughout that, you know, from I would say 2013 until 2017, I wasn't doing much of anything. So I would just record a bunch of riffs. And obviously I'm a metalhead. I produce mainly metal. I love metal, but I haven't played in a metal band in since I was a teenager, like that long, maybe early twenties. Right. Just, just so, hold on one second. That the other band that you, that, what is that other band? It's, it's so, like a progressive kind of thing or what is it? It's, I don't know what you would call it. I guess you would call it kind of, I, I don't want to use the word progressive. There are progressive elements, but, um, we're sort of like a weird blend of, oh my, I don't even know, a combination of the strokes myth mixed with some metal. Um, you'd have to check it out, man. I think you'll dig it. It's all clean vocals. There's some screams as well. But um, yeah, Steve is the singer of that band. And uh, we've been playing together for almost 20 years now. So we're working on an EP right now, actually, uh, as oh. we speak. Yeah. So back to Voidscape. So this yes. has been a collection of riffs that you've been working on for a long time. I had a huge collection of metal riffs, right? And didn't know what to do with them. Because um, me personally, I'm not I'm not Mr. Uh, <laughs> guitar. Like, I love shredding. Don't get me wrong. I love guitar playing. But I'm not into, like, recording instrumental stuff. And a lot of guitar players, they'll do, like, instrumental music, right? They have a bunch of riffs. I always like being in bands. I like having a singer or a screamer. And I like there to be actual lyrics to the songs. But I don't really sing myself. So... I thought to myself, who do I know that could easily come in here that would be fun to work with, that that would be quick to work with? And right away, Ninja came to mind, Justin, obviously, right? Um, and Mike, because I've worked with I've worked with both of those guys in oh my God, man, I'm not even exaggerating, at least eight projects per guy. You know, like Ninja, you know, he he was in Abassinate, then he was in Hammer Fight, he still is. Uh, and then obviously Tombs, he has a bunch of uh, Putrescension. And same thing with Mike. I used to work with Mike in a band called Grimace, and then he started his own band called Windfarer. Then I worked with him in Replicant um, and other bands as well. So I contacted them, I sent them the, the demos, they love them, and we knocked out two songs. Super easy. Uh, a year later, we did another single. And then throughout the pandemic, I decided to kind of put an EP together and um, we did the EP, and that's how it came to be. That's a good time to focus on that stuff when there's nothing else going on, really. 
<laughs> oh yeah, dude, totally. Um, yeah, it was probably it really great. therapeutic, I imagine, to you know keep your, your your head together, really. Yes, definitely, and it was fun also because, as you know, Ninja plays guitar, and Mike is a songwriter, so they sent me their ideas, and then I had fun with them through. And you know, I had my riffs as well. We kind of just in an organic way, you know, melded everything together. And then it's funny. I take forever to do my guitars in the bass. I played bass on it and Ninja does his drums in like two hours. And then Mike does the entire EP in like two, two takes. So it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Ninja is like the go-to New Jersey metal drummer. Yeah. Everyone, he gets calls constantly to fill in, you know, he, he played in sworn enemy a bunch of times. Like, you know, they're, they're a New York band, but you know, they ask him to fill in a lot. And, um, He's a really easy guy to work with. And as far as guitar, his guitar playing, man, I mean, you you and I both know yeah. he he's probably one of the he's like one of the better rhythm guitar players. Oh, around, yeah, really. And know? a great riff writer, great songwriter. Yeah. He's like the Dave Grohl of metal, I guess, in a way. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to do his own just like top to bottom solo project. You know, what he I mean? has to. He has to, dude. Um, yeah, so it's just the combination. Also, personality-wise, we all gel personality-wise because everyone in the band is just pretty easygoing for the most yeah. part. So um, it's just been a lot of fun. And I had no high hopes for it. I just thought we would put it out. And then ended up uh, the, the EP ended up getting picked up by like Nefarious uh, Industries. So they put it out. You know Greg? You know Greg Meisenberg? I do, yeah. Well, it's funny because I met Greg, bef- I think right around the time I met you, I know he was in Tombs. Yes. And I helped him out. Uh, there was a guy I know that did guitar repairs. And then he ended up meeting me at the studio. And that's when he was in Tombs. And then I met you that same summer. Uh, but by the time I had met you, you guys had another bass player. But it was like right on that cusp. So I, I had met Greg previously around that time. Yeah, Greg joined the fold at a very critical point in the band's uh, career. <laughs> it was like, there was a big lineup upheaval. We were, you know, our Metal Blade record just came out and we had all this touring set up and and we didn't have a bass player. And um, oh. Brett Bamberger is a guy who put me in touch with Greg. Oh, Brett's yeah. like the linchpin of a lot of different operations, it feels like, you know, yeah. he's like the go-to. He knows everyone, like he's the, the connective tissue between a lot of people, you know, and cool. uh, so Brett connected. And actually, Meisenberg and I had been on tour together prior to that. He was playing drums for Ringworm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah. Wait, so Greg plays drums also? Oh yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg is a, a probably a better drummer than a bass player. Didn't yeah. know that, dude. I thought he was just a bass player. Wow, learning something new. Yeah, yeah. Greg was playing in Ringworm. Brett had already kind of hit me to the fact that, you know, he was part of the little crew crew of New Jersey people, you know. Yeah. And um, we were on tour with Ringworm and Darkest Hour, and uh, and I was like, oh yeah, this guy Greg, he seems like a cool guy, whatever. And then. It turned out that he ended up joining the band for like that whole the rest of that year just for oh, touring, cool. touring yeah. purposes, you know, because we we had a bunch of stuff lined up that year. And uh, yeah, Greg, Greg's a great guy. He's talented. He, Nefarious Industries has got a lot of very um, interesting releases. Oh yeah, uh, dude. Very a lot of it. What 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 I wanted to kind of expand on is that you know there's a lot of progressive elements of Voidscape. You yeah. know, I listen to it. You know, it's like blackened death metal but also i hear like uh like chuck schuldinger like death you know like oh cool kind of like progress like later death you know not even i mean definitely the earlier stuff but when you know chuck started really expanding outward and bringing in all these different you know king crimson like a little bit of that like sneaks in there yeah um and then just like some kind of like especially the intro on the record like that kind of old school like like a heavy metal like uh like screaming for vengeance or something like that oh yeah kind of 
like heavy metal intro kind of thing, like grandiose, you know? And, um, and Greg's got a lot of different releases on that label. Some of it's like instrumental, like, um, you know, very, 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 very player oriented. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I think this fits really well with you guys, the aesthetic that you guys have. It's worked out great, man. And they've been really professional, really responsive. Like they put out the, it was, it's just been a lot of fun, you know, and uh, we got it on the, the releases on cassette tape so I can die happy. I have a release officially on cassette. That's all I wanted in my life was to put out an EP or an album on cassette or vinyl and I'm, and I'm set. So, and he's done it. So I'm, I'm happy. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So last night when I walked, when I walked in the middle of you guys practice, um, <laughs> there was another guy there though. Like yes. you say on the record, it's, it's you on guitar. Mike G on bass and vocals, and then Justin on drums. So actually, who's this, on the, who's this guy? Other guy on the on the EP. I'm actually doing guitar and bass. Okay, uh, so you're doing okay, EP. Sorry. Um, so that's the problem, though. We're you know it, it's only been a studio project. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, um, the first time we had ever played together ever was last Saturday. <laughs> I have I all these years that I've you know recorded these guys in the studio and even throughout this project we had never jammed or played together. Now everyone is seasoned enough where like they know the demoing process. They they they've done it a thousand times. So you know even though we haven't physically played together, they understand. You know Ninja's great with the click and we have all that down. But we don't have a bait. We didn't have a bass player or a second guitarist. That's something else we've been talking about. So. Uh, what happened was we had this show offering uh, about three weeks ago. Maybe not even think it was a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. And Mike said, do you want to do this show? And we're like, yeah, we just need a bass player. So we booked the show without having anybody. So, <laughs> so we're like, what the hell are we going to do? And we've had a few names that were thrown around. And that's Big Daddy Mike, actually. the other. So we have two Mikes in the band right now. We have Mike the singer, uh, Mike G. And then Big Daddy Mike, <laughs> uh, who's actually the bass player of Mike's other band, um, Winfair. So he, so he's playing. great, by the way, too. Winfair is a great. Band. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Super great pr progressive -y kind of a folky kind of metal band, you know? Yeah. Um, so Mike came in, man, and this kid learned these songs, which blew my mind in a matter of two, actually more like two, two and a half weeks. Um, they're not crazy, crazy technical, but they're also not simple. Like they're all in different keys and there's all this weird riffage happening and he, he nailed it. So that's who that was. That's who that was playing bass last night. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, um, there's a lot of changes in the songs, you know, there's like, you guys play around with tempos. You know, the keys change quite a bit. And, um, yeah. you know, and that's that's what comes to mind. Like for me, you know, just my rudimentary understanding of music. I think about bands like Death, you know, and there's like yeah. kind of progressive stuff. It's not so much like uh, some Marty Friedman type, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. but it's just like interesting, very riffy music, you know, and, and Mike's vocals always are, are great, you know. Well, that, it's funny. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because my vision for this, and I think the Justin, Mike, and I, our vision originally was sort of like we're because we love. Um, I mean, all of us are, love all different styles of metal, but we really love at the gates and like yeah. and like melodic death metal. Um, that would probably be my main influence in the '90s when I was growing up playing guitar. So that's how this project sort of started, right? Um, but when we did this EP, I know myself. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna really just do some weird really experiment and like i'm gonna throw some phil collins shit in there i don't care i'm gonna just see what happens you know like i'm like what do i have to lose also production wise for me uh from a recording engineer's perspective i was experimenting also with like keeping it really organic like super organic um with the drums it's a lot of ambient mics on the drums i pretty much wanted the ep to sound like steve albini produced it which is an odd mix so I was nervous, man. When like when I sent them the initial skeletons of the songs, I'm like, yo, these guys are gonna think this is shot. I don't, I don't know, you know. 
and they seem to dig it. And then I think the thing that really brings it together is Ninja's drumming, right? Because he's got that un, you know, th that signature thing about his drumming, and then Mike's voice. So when you have those two elements, it sound it just it works, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm happy with with the way it turned out, and the reception's been great, man. I honestly didn't expect it to to be as um as uh as well received as it has been. Funny that you mentioned Steve Albini. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, because like your style of production is very, um, I mean, and probably just because of the, the need to go in that direction because of the type of clients you normally get at the studio, yeah. probably just, you know, want you to want to sound like, you know, like metal, you know, what I mean? of course, like super yeah, compressed, you know, very yep. tight kind of thing. Yeah. Now, is that style, Albini style, is that something that you're, you're um, like when you first started getting into recording, was that some, was that like a producer or engineer that you you admired? That's a great question, man. You know, it's funny when it comes to production, you know, growing up, I was never into, I was never interested in studio stuff. I was never interested in production as a whole. I was always a band guy as a kid. And uh, long story short, um, in the early, in, in like 2000, the early 2000s, I had a friend that was doing these demos out of his basement with a simple home studio and his production quality was beating out like bigger studios in my area. And when I would work with him, I started to kind of ask him questions like, oh, how are you making the kit? And I slowly developed this addiction to production, right? So at that point, I was already in my 20s. And for me, my, my go-to guy growing, you know, at that phase was definitely Andy Sneap and um, and um, what's his name? Uh, oh, God, Colin Richardson. So oh, yeah. I, I really love those guys. Now, subconsciously, though, throughout the 90s, I was a huge fan, obviously, of like the alternative scene when that was happening. And even like even like some of those older more raw record with those like, you know, the old cannibal corpse, the old uh, morbid angel recordings. I like that sound, but, but when I was coming up and starting my career as a recording engineer, nobody really wanted that sound anymore. Everybody wanted that polished, crisp, super, you know, modern sound. And I love that. Don't get me wrong. I really love that. But in recent years, as an experiment, I've been kind of um, just having fun experimenting, going back to that Steve Albini style where it's a, where it sounds more like a band just physically there. You know what I mean? And that's that's something I've been experimenting with. Also, I've been recording a lot of live production stuff as well. Um, oh, yeah. For a second YouTube, which a whole, which a whole other separate thing, uh, for a second YouTube channel. Um, so, yeah, great question. I think I love both. And I just hadn't had the opportunity to explore that side until recently, if that makes sense. But I love both. And too, because you said you're into like that kind of 90s alternative sound. And Albini was all over that whole scene in the 90s. Dude, and I think with him, you know, for me, it's not even so much about the genre that he recorded, is that he was the master, is the master at capturing a band in their natural element. You know what I mean? Like when you hear any of his recordings, like that's how that band actually sounds in a in a, in a physical acoustic, acoustic environment. Like he's really minimalistic. He's not a big fan of overproducing stuff. Like he... He has like, uh, I think he actually makes the band play mainly live to track the, to track the main tracks. So like, you're right actually, because I, I remember reading a thing where he was recording uh, Plant and Page, you know, basically yes. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and and they would just jam, like they were just like going to the room and just play, and that was oh, pretty totally. much how he made the album. Yeah. And there's an energy there, man, that you like that that truly is unique when you do it that way. I found anyway, you know, I, now obviously it has to be the right project. Now, Voidscape was in a way recorded like that, but not 100 percent. Like my goal was to kind of capture that vibe. 
obviously we still did the drums separately and the guitar separately and everything else like that. But the way that I went about it, my mindset was more like, you know, stick a room mic on the guitars also. Like, why not? You know, shit like that, that I would never really um, prioritize if I were doing a straightforward metal production where everybody, everything has to be crystal clear, you know, sort of thing. You know, it's funny, the, um, without being any, uh, a friend of mine, like back in the heyday in the nineties, you know, their biggest goal was to record with him. So they recorded an album with him. Right. And, uh, you know, this band called La Gratona, they were, they were like, um, when I lived in Boston, I was a huge fan. I lived in Boston for like five years and I was like a huge, huge fan of this band. And uh, they were like a little bit ahead of their time and a little bit after their time. And they were like too intense for like indie rock types, you know? Yeah. And like, not 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 metal enough for metal 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 crowds you know but i know the like, feeling yeah yeah they were kind of like um like dead guy before dead guy was dead guy you know okay. what i mean yeah but with like even more like kind of different sounds mixed in there and people that are listening to this will probably know who i'm talking about because these this band's come up quite a bit on this show yeah um so yeah i remember they they booked time with albini out in chicago and um like he's he's like uh you know he's basically like a, like a whore you know you can call yeah, him he'll up. do anything He'll yeah. do anything, you know, yeah. if the price is right, he'll do yeah. anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they show up there, they load in, they do their thing and uh, they're playing And My friend, his name is Taz. He was like trying to get a read on Steve as to whether or not like he was into it or <laughs> yeah. he was just like, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. You know, you know, very, very, very um, medium, very yeah. much like, like flat. Like yeah. I'm just here doing my job. He's like a plumber, you know, he shows up, wow. does his job. Well, that's it, dude. That's his whole jam. Um, even in interviews, he, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure this is obviously he did in utero by Nirvana, which is yeah. a massive, massive album. He refused to take producer's points on that album. Like he didn't even want, he did not take, so he was just paid one lump sum. I'm sure it was a lot of money, but he was paid one lump sum. And to him, his ideology, his, his, way of looking at things is he's like a plumber. Like he looks at himself as like, it's a trade. It's like, I'm hired to do a job. My opinion really doesn't matter so much. Meaning this is what he believes. Um, He's not there to impart his vision on the music. It's there to just capture what you already are. So that's why he'll do any band. I think it, like you were saying, if the price is right, I think it's like two grand a day to record with him. It was like a couple of years ago. And I even thought one day I would like to record with him just for the hell of it, like a single, you know? You know, so I uh, got to knock it out a couple of days, but still, you know, uh, so that's an interesting way of, of looking at um, production. And that's very unique. And that's how he does it. Even with Nirvana, even with the biggest yeah. band in the world, he still didn't want to take producers points, which is pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. <laughs> the funny thing about that whole thing with producers, you know what I mean? Like, and you think about, I think that that really surfaced in, in like mu- in the music that we would listen to maybe in, in the nineties, you know, yeah. I think in the eighties, producers and and you know before that too a producer would be a guy who like hired a songwriter and like yes put a band together and then hired like like a late it would be more of a hands-on trade you know yes totally. and then suddenly these guys who are engineers figure out there's like here's an angle i can make a little bit more money but basically they're just engineers oh totally man and now the lines are even more blurred because of technology i mean look at my studio it's in a it's right. like a one room in, in an industrial complex 
you have guys like what I do is they're, you know, we call ourselves producers, but in reality, we're like a combination of three different things. We're a tape op, we're an, uh, we're a, you know, an actual producer and we're also an engineer. So the lines now are so blurred and like, you know, you have guys that make beats on Fruity Loops and call themselves producers, you know, like, and or, or engineers. So I think it's, it's interesting how that, that role has shifted and it's cool to be co- called that now, you know? So it's cool. Yeah, and, and with the technology too, in a way it, it almost adds like, like you, I, I don't have a problem so much these days with dudes calling themselves producers because in a lot of ways, all the magical stuff that goes on with technology, especially yeah. when now then you get into the beat making industry, you know, like there's a definitely an art to that, you know, oh, and, totally. and I, I think that if you're in that world of electronic music, then mm-hmm. that's like you're a producer. You oh, know, yeah. You're basically creating the substrate for the entire musical endeavor. Yep. And then your your ideas are being layered on top of that. And, you know, and you're collaborating sometimes with those artists. Like my friend Alop, who used to play in that in uh dialect. I don't know if you know dialect. Oh, I've heard the band dialect, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I've observed I've he's a friend of mine and I've been to his studio a bunch of times and he's kind of laid out like the kind of stuff that he does. And he's just like, Yeah, these people come in and they have like like a video of them doing stuff and it's oh, like really like that's you know just like voice notes versions of songs oh, wow that's cool and they're like we need someone to put this whole thing together yeah exactly that's know? his job then yeah yeah and his job is steps in okay these are the beats you know playing around with some tempos and yeah. you know he's his his main um platform is um is is uh ableton ableton yeah. live that's yeah. really popular with that, that that kind of stuff yeah and then he mixes in pro tools right so, oh, okay. um, yeah, so like, you know, he, he exports stems and I guess he likes the, you know, the, the editing and, and mixing capabilities of Pro Tools more than, than Ableton, I imagine. Yeah. You know, I've yeah, only played dope. around Ableton a little bit. It's amazing, dude. I mean, for that kind of stuff, electronic music, hip hop, anything that's electronic bass, it is unbelievable. Ableton is really sick. And then also, um, obviously Logic is really, really yeah. good. Um, Pro Tools is sort of behind in that department, I got to admit, but as um, you know, uh, people always seem to, to clown on Pro Tools all the time, you know, but to this day, as far as like working with real bands in reality, real drums, real like Pro Tools still wins as far as editing and be- being able to, to work and comp takes on the fly. Uh, so it's different to me. Pro Tools is more like a virtual tape machine. And then Ableton is more like a creation station uh, producing kind of platform. But they all they all there's cross cross talk between all of them, you know. Yeah, totally. Now, now in the metal world, when, when you're, um, do you, do you ever have, what kind of, like, do people ever come to you and be like, this is my idea for a song? Like, yes. here's us playing live, like in a recording room in, a, in a, our practice space. Yeah. Help us. Like, does that, does that a role that you fill? Yeah. It's funny. I, for the longest time, I didn't do a whole lot of that because in metal, at least again, I mainly do metal. A lot of times metal bands, they have this stuff done for the most part. It's right. different. It's a different way of thinking, but I'm working with a, a rock band right now uh, where that's what we're doing. So like, they'll have the skeleton of the song. And then I, we sit down with guitars and I'm playing guitar and I'm helping them out arranging, uh, trying, you know, switching to key, even different ideas for like, um, like certain tempos. So we're starting from scratch and I'm actually building the songs with them but they're more of like an alternative rock band so it's a different it's weird it's a different mentality now of course there are producers that step in with metal bands that do the same thing but i i work with a lot i do a lot of brutal stuff so it's it's a i don't know yeah it's it's something that i'm doing more of now because now for some reason a lot of the younger bands around here are either i've noticed they're either old school like priest kind of stuff uh even new metal is kind of coming back which is wild 
<laughs> you were telling us about that when we were yeah. doing the record. We were talking about Dude. these new metal bands calling themselves new metal bands. And now it's even crazier since then. So I see a lot of that. And then now I'm getting hit up by a lot of bands that are just more kind of just middle of the road rock, which is cool too, you know? And those bands are the ones that I've noticed request, or at least for me, this is my own personal experience, are, are wanting more production stuff, even in the pre-production phase. So, uh, and I love it. I really love that. I love fulfilling that that role as well. I love it all, man. I love each stage of production, you know? Uh, for me, it's still, it's still it's still all part of the same soup, so to speak. That's interesting though. I mean, because, you know, you are you're like, the, the, the thing that you have, at your disposal is your your musical capabilities like you're yeah. you know you, you you play like you're you're uh you know music you know a yeah. lot of sometimes you'll run into guys that are recording engineers that don't really play necessarily yeah, yeah. or their or their expertise is in something that doesn't translate very well to the the format you know what i mean but at least like you know within the rock and metal world you know you kind of understand what needs to happen and then you were talking about changing keys like you can hear maybe a vocal line where it's like, you know what, maybe you're in your range, you're singing out of your range. So let's change. The exactly. Key, that kind of thing. Exactly. You know, and I think also for a band from a band's perspective, it is important, especially for those kind of bands to have an outside ear to kind of like, especially if not everybody's agreeing in the band, <laughs> you know, like I've been, oh, yeah. I've been dealing with a lot of like one person thinks the band is well evanescence kind of thing. And then the other person in the band thinks they're kind of more of a screamo thing. And it's like, yo, okay. Forget about the genres. Let's just hear the songs and let's work on the songs to see what fits her voice best. That kind of thing, you know? I love it. That's that's like an age old. That's still, that exists. I bet it even exists in like Cannibal Corpse or something like that. Totally true. <laughs> I bet every, each one of those guys has their own idea of what the band should sound like. Oh, yeah. But, you know, honestly, man, I think that's what makes bands unique, you know? Because like if, if everybody agreed hundred percent. A lot of times bands will end up just sounding like other bands, you know, where, where you have that weird blend of people, I think is sometimes how you end up with um, sort of like, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out, go out on a limb here. I really liked how on the last few tombs records, maybe it was the EPOs were like, you had some New Jersey, like chugging riffs out of nowhere. I thought that was awesome. And obviously that's coming from Justin, right? Like I think Justin wrote a few breakdowny kind of, kind of sections. You know what? Honestly, I, I wrote the breakdown. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, you're thinking on the EP, there's like a real thuggy part on one of the songs. Yes, exactly. I think somehow, but it was actually when I wrote that, I didn't even live in New Jersey at the time. I still lived in Brooklyn. So um, but maybe it was my, <laughs> you know, hardcore my travels stuff. across, uh, you know, the Outer Bridge Crossing into uh, the, you know, dirty Jersey that influenced that writing style maybe. But, you know, no, but no, yeah, absolutely. Those guys have influenced me. You know, I mean, Todd's playing with us now, and you know, Drew. Oh, that's awesome, Drew, yeah. You know, Drew is like a master on bass, man, and 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 you know, and he has like that rock and roll like kind of vibe. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's the yeah, whole. So it all blends together. So that that's cool. In a unique way, that's that makes it unique. You know, um, no, even with the Voidscape thing, it's funny. There's a riff that's straight up, straight up New Jersey hardcore style, which I would never play in a million years. Not that I, I love that stuff, but it's just not part of my natural DNA. You know, uh, yeah. it's actually hard for me to write atonal stuff. Like I, my brain always goes towards melodic stuff. So Justin wrote a few riffs that were straight up like ignorant, heavy, but blending that in with the crap that we have, it creates this unique kind of weird. Frankenstein of a of a of a jam, you know, and and I love it. I love it, man. It excites me. That's awesome, man. Actually, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Like the secret is like um that song Baron, which was, you know, on under Sullen Skies. Justin great wrote one. that one. And that's like super melodic. Such a great that song. That song is all melody, you know, yeah. and, and Justin actually wrote that song. 
Yeah, that's that's a good one, man. Yeah, Baron's yeah. the one. Uh, I remember that's the one that's really like harmonic minor, like dark. Yeah, it's a good one. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very dark, but it's it's melody. There's a lot of it's not it's not so much like what you would expect, Justin, to write the thuggy, like brutal, like riffs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he's a talented yeah. dude. Totally. <laughs> right, I love it, man. I love collaborating with people, man. It's like the best thing ever. Same here. It's my favorite. And it's cool too, because when you have the right personalities, like collaborating with someone like Justin uh, or any of those guys, is they're they're not like the egomaniac control freak type. And that's what makes it so free and so, so um, I can't describe it. Like, cause I've worked with people that like, for example, I, you know, I've worked with drummers that are great drummers, but they don't ever want to play a normal beat. Like they have to get, you know, it's like, dude, like I get it. You're good, but play a normal beat here. You know, like that, that's the kind of stuff I have no patience for anymore. I don't know about you, but I, 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 I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've never been that great of a guitar player. So it's like, it's never like, um, you know, I'm like trying to show off my technical ability. Cause like I've, pretty you know i'm not that great really but like i played in bands with drummers specifically who are just playing to get like ats on the back from like other dudes who play drums you know the worst <laughs> so the like worst dude i can't stand that you know here the, all the this is just my opinion for me my favorite musicians of all time would be guys like um let's see like alex van halen eddie van halen now eddie van halen is known as an amazing guitar player obviously he's a virtuoso but if you really listen to what he's doing he'll there there'll be sections of the song where he's playing one note for like measure yeah. Cause he, he gets it. Like he's, he's coming from a place of, of, uh, in my opinion of he's coming from a songwriter's mindset, not a guitar shredder's mindset. And now I know most people will think he's a shredder and he is, but really a lot of his stuff is really lyrical. That's why for me personally, I'm not a huge fan of like, now I love Steve. I, I love all these, these gods. Right. But like, I can't listen to that stuff for like more than a few minutes, you know, like I need, I need good songs. You know, I need vocals. I need, I need hooks. So when I end up when I end up when, when me personally for my own music when I play with musicians that are all about you know showing off all the time even guitar players dude I've I've played with guitar players where it's like they just don't want to play a normal riff for some reason or they or the solo section has to be you know two times too long it's like dude cut that down we already we, you don't need to, it doesn't have to be that long you know so that's my that's my uh my whole thing you know it's funny about Eddie Van Halen is like apparently. Two of his biggest influences there's Tony Iommi from Sabbath, oh, yeah, and, uh, and Eric Clapton. Oh, Eric Clapton's a huge influence on uh, and in Eddie Van Halen, and you could hear it actually. You hear it in there a little. There was um oh man, what the hell is the name of the record? There's a Van a, a record that Eddie Van Halen did that was like a a solo album that had like another title, and the title's escaping me. It had like a some like science fiction like spaceship painted on the cover of it. Really? Yes. Or are you thinking about surfing with the alien? Nope, nope, nope. That's Joe Satriani. I yes, know that. Exactly. I know that. There was. I'll, I'll send it to you. Maybe I'll, I'll put it in the show notes here because I can't. Oh, I'm curious to know. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you. I'll send you information about it. But it exists. I don't. I do not own a copy of it. But I'll. I'll. I'll find out about that. You know. And and yeah. There's. Some, but it's apparently it was like a more blues oriented kind of Clapton esque kind of thing that he was doing. Never knew that. I knew, um, I, you know, it's funny because people always would bust his balls back in the day for doing, for not doing a solo record. Uh, and he would say, well, all my records are solo records. That's what he'd say. I know he did a soundtrack to like a, like an eighties teen comedy in the eight, you know, in the eighties, like he did the soundtrack to that. And it's funny right now, you know, the song right now, now that came out in the nineties, um, the piano part is in the soundtrack. So it was like before the song was written before Sammy was even in the band. Um, 
And then in the 2000s, he did the soundtrack to like a porno movie, like some random stuff in like 2000, literally in like 2006, he did the soundtrack. But I didn't know he has a solo record, dude. I, this is exciting. I gotta, I gotta hear this. This is crazy. Yeah, it was something. It it's like one of the, you know how like in the 70s and the 80s, like stuff will just come out and then just disappear forever yeah. and yes probably not even streaming anywhere like it was yeah. something like that you know what i mean wow yeah so how how long when did you start the studio up tech you know the fright box uh you know studio endeavor when did that whole thing start that's a great question and and i have an answer unfortunately it's gonna be long but i'll tell it to you I'll, no, I'll, we're on a podcast man i'll, I'll know, shrink it down I'll, I'll shrink it down i'll get to the point so like i was saying earlier you know i've i'm I've always been a fan of music. I've been playing guitar since I was 10 years old. When I was in high school, all I wanted to do was be in a signed metal band that toured. That was all I thought about 24 seven. I eat and breathed music, right? Like playing guitar. In the early 2000s, there was a local. So as you probably know, right back in the day to have a good sounding release, you would either need to have a really good producer and a lot of money with a label and like a backing, right? Or yeah. you would have to know someone that was just really, really talented that had access to a lot of equipment. That's generally how it was in the 90s. Like it was hard to have a good sounding demo when you were a local band in the 90s. Um, so obviously all of us local bands, kids, we never had great sounding recordings. So it was, it's hard. There was this kid that was in a local band. His name was Adam Horniak. Um, he was in a local metal band called One Lump Sum back in the day. And he used to intern at a music, at a studio, like a proper studio. And out of nowhere, he's, he built like a small home studio in his basement. This is like the year 2001. And these records were coming out that sounded like legit Roadrunner releases. And everyone is like, dude, Adam's recordings uh, are amazing. And it, it, pretty much what happened to him is that he ended up recording every single local band in like the immediate area in New Jersey. It was insane. Because why would you not? I mean, you're paying, you know, you're paying peanuts to this guy who's doing a great job and it sounds like album quality. So everybody was going to this guy, including me. And again, at this time, I wasn't interested in production. But as I spent time with him, with him, I realized I'm like, oh, wait a minute, he doesn't have a lot of equipment. Maybe I can get something similar and record demos, right? That was kind of my like my mindset. Um, I was already like 20 years old at this time. So I was all like halfway through my psychology degree at school. So Little by little, I ended up becoming more and more interested in it. I bought all the same equipment that he had, and I decided this is what I want to do. So I switched my major over to audio production. I went to a different college, pretty much had to start from scratch. Um, what, what was the setup that he had? Was it like ADATs or something like that? Great, yeah, great question. He actually had, um, it was a, oh, not a task. It was a Roland eight. Uh, so it, it could record up to 16 tracks. You could mix 16 tracks on it, but you can only record eight at a time. So it was mm -hmm. a minimal setup. He had two studio monitors. Um, a Roland, it was a hard disk recorder, but it was, it was not a DAW, right? Oh, wow. One of those old school, like, like one, like a mixer with yes. the hard disk storage. Okay, great. Yes. But because he had worked at a studio and he was talented and had an ear for it, he, he knew how to work that thing, man. It was crazy. Um, and so what I did is I worked in a music store at the time is I bought the zoom equivalent and it was pretty much the same thing. Had eight, you could record eight channels at once, like you know, a whole drum kit, and you can mix up to sixteen or twenty-four, something like that. Um, and what ended up happening was I started recording my own band, and this is when MySpace was popular, as you probably remember. Um, yeah. We would put out the demos, and people would message us going, "Yo, who did your recording?" And I would say, "Well, well, I did it." And they're like, "Oh, will you pay us? Can, can we pay you to record us?" And I remember at the time, dude, I wasn't even thinking about this. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I had no interest in recording other artists. All I cared about was my own band. That's all I cared about. And I, I said, "Well, okay." And then 
that's how it started. So it just honestly started like that. I didn't even have my degree yet. This is like two years before I had even graduated with my audio degree. Uh, and I then I ended up recording, you know, the, the dude, Adam must have hated me because like I ended up recording a lot of the bands that he was recording <laughs> at the time, you know, competition. Uh, yeah, which is which sucked because you know he was a good friend of mine, and I, I don't know if he still records, but um, he actually did. Are you familiar with Mark Rizzo, the guy from Soulfly? Of course, yeah, he's uh, yeah, yeah. So he, he I, was in uh, he was in that that uh, the the um, Cavalera thing too for a while. Yes, yeah. So yeah. I was playing with Rizzo at the time, so we were all part of the of like the same scene, and um, he did all of Rizzo's like like um like solo solo projects and stuff like that. Um, but then after that, I think, I don't know what happened with him. I think he kind of just decided to stop recording. I think he got really burnt out because dude, he was recording like seven days a week, every local band under the sun. So, and then I sort of ended up, ended up starting to do this, the same thing, but out of the spot that, you know, in, in the industrial build, building, oh, um, so that, that was the place that you moved into then that's Rizzo's old room. Oh, okay. So it's crazy. Cause I was playing with Rizzo and then Rizzo ended up forming a whole new band or he went out on tour. So I, I ended up not playing with Rizzo and I ended up somehow inheriting that room throughout time. It's so weird. Um, uh, but anyway, so that's how it started, man. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then, as you know, when you're a freelancer, the word gets out there and other bands recommend other bands. And then before you know it, you're doing, you know, you're working 24 seven on projects. Um, and that's the story. One of the coolest things about for as a as a client that I like about your studio is the nonstop loop of horror films playing <laughs> all the time. Dude, it's funny. Uh it used to just be, you know, it was a v a VCR. And then I realized, oh, I could digitize. Oh, I dude, I, I'm out of my mind. Like seven years ago before I moved into where I live now, I decided to digitize every VHS tape tape that I own. And I own hundreds of VHS tapes. I digitized them. And the cool thing about that is you can loop them on the TV. And that's what I ended up doing. So now I just, it's on a constant loop. I actually, the TV I have back here, I don't know if you can see it. That has horror movies looped on it 24 seven as well. I just have it off right now, but there's, there's horror movies playing right now on a constant loop. Uh, it's just inspiring, you know? No, it, it's actually relaxing, man. Cause I know like, you know, when we were, when we were working together, you know, I, I'd be doing guitar tracks or whatever, and you listening back and and even while you're sometimes while you're playing, like if you're if you're kind of in that, you know, a groove, you know, you're doing these like tremolo picking parts or whatever. Yes. And you're looking and then there's like, you know, like the fog is playing with no sound and there's yeah. imagery. Dude. You know, and it just creates this vibe, man. It's like kind of it's very relaxing too. That's how it is for me. It makes me, you know, I, there could be days where I'm not even in the mood to like do anything musically. And then when I see that stuff, it just puts me in that creative mindset. Funny story, man. I just found this out recently. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I've been doing this for years with the horror movie thing, right? Um, I've, I worked with a really good band recently uh, called Poeta. And I, I've, the guitar player I've worked with in his older band. So we were talking. He's like, oh, I got I to gotta tell you something. I'm like, okay. He's like, dude, our old bass player, meaning his bass player from his old band, that dude thought you were like, apparently it really offended him that I was playing Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like I, I was completely oblivious. I had no idea, but apparently this kid was like, I'm never going back to that fucking place. There's something wrong with that guy. Like he actually thought there was something wrong with me for playing Silent Night, Deadly Night on a loop. Like, dude, I was complete. He went to the wrong place then, man. Cause <laughs> you know, that's what I like about you too. It's like, you know, you, you're just like, if, if that offended you, you came to the wrong place, which came I think the wrong is place, awesome. Dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how I look at it, man. It's like, dude, I mean, first of all, look at the building that we're in. Second of all, I mean, 
the place is called fright box recording i mainly do death metal bands what do you expect like you know and it wasn't like dude it's it's a cheesy 80s slasher it wasn't like i was playing like you know faces of death or something messed up you know like apparently i really offended this kid and, and it's funny because i was completely oblivious i didn't find out until years later and i was dying laughing i'm like yeah that's that's classic man who knows how many other people i've offended without even realizing do you have any scenes from faces of death on there no, no. You know, I'm weird, man. Like I was into that stuff when I was a kid. Like I would watch a lot of that. And as, as I've gotten older, like I, anything real, I want to have I, cheesy 80s stuff or horror movies, anything that's like, you know, fiction I'm a fan of, but anything that's real, it, it, it does the opposite. It, it, it just bums me out, you know? Yeah. I kind of, I'm on the same page, you know, even though most of that faces of death stuff, at least from the first, that first one where it's fake. a lot of that's fake, but, yeah. but stuff like, um, like cannibal Holocaust or something where they oh, killed dude. them. That's that's they kill like all these animals and it's terrible. Just, that's that's too far for me, actually. I agree. I totally agree. And even, you know, for me, when it comes to horror, like, you know, I know there are guys or, or fans in general that like they like horror just for the gore. Obviously, you know, gore adds to the vibe, you know, like a, like a Romero movie isn't a Romero movie without gore. But for me, it's more about the story and also the also the music and the atmosphere overall. Like when I'm watching Dawn of the Dead. What's unique about th those movies is that you're in a it ha it sets a vibe that's unique to that movie or that director or that whatever you know Halloween Dawn of the Dead any of the classics you're in that world and um, that's why I like a lot of the older horror stuff versus a lot of the newer stuff a lot of the newer stuff it's hard for me to connect to because it's just CGI like I yeah. don't know Th that's maybe I'm getting older now but like for example everyone was going crazy about the Conjuring and I remember seeing it in the theaters and I'm like yo this is really good and then once it started to get into the CG ghost thing I, I checked out personally. Yeah, have you checked out Terrifier, the Terrifier movie? I've heard it's really good. I have not seen it though. What do you think? Did you see it? Yeah, I, I would recommend it. I mean, there's um, it's funny. I've been following Art the Clown's trajectory since early on because there was um, there was a uh, a, a short a series of a series of films that that uh, Damien Leone made, and uh, there were shorts, and Art the Clown pops up in one of, a couple of the shorts, right? Oh. And then Terrifier, the first one, came out. And I watched that and it was like, just like real gritty, real brutal, very like, um, you know, think, like I can see people just not digging certain parts of that just because yeah. it's so intense, you know, and, and, um, it does it feel you know, old and people school? criticized it. What was that? Does it feel old school, like an eighties kind of thing? It has, it has like that. It's like, if you took that for the first terrifier, it feels like a movie from like the eighties, but, but. The atmosphere is, fun, is is like that, but the things that that they're depicting, oh, it's like very current. You know, it's like very cool. extreme. You know what that's I mean? Cool. And um, you know, really unsettling. And um, I dug it though. I thought it was cool because it's like a modern slasher. You know, yeah. That we don't really yeah. have too many legit new characters. It's always like rehashing of old. Exactly. Characters. Exactly. Terrifier two takes it to the next level, dude. Not not so much. Like it's very intense. Like gore wise but the story really like it, it really it's like i saw it in the movie theater and um i have the blu-ray too and i haven't had a chance to get into the blu-ray stuff the extras but um he builds up this whole mythology around it and um and there's like this he's a supernatural character there's like other characters involved in this thing it's like a, a universe oh that know? sounds cool and it it takes place in new jersey too and there's um <laughs> how have i not seen it's funny because i've seen still i've seen the images i've seen the stills but like i just thought it was like a generic but but then again it has gotten a lot of good reviews from real horror guys so i have yeah. to see it 
some of it, there's a club scene that takes place in QXTs in Newark. In the second one or the first one? In the second one. That's insane. Is it actually at QXTs? It's act. It it's shot in they, like they don't like if you 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 recognize the inside of the of the club, you know, it's like some goth night, you know, type thing. And <laughs> I'm like, that looks really familiar, man. It's like, like it's got to be QXTs. And in the credits, it was like QXTs. And that's incredible. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of it is um funded by like you know by you know uh whatever like uh like GoFundMe or whatever you know some equivalent to that where people would you know add money to it yeah so there was like a couple of things in there where i'm like a couple of like odd cameos of like weird dudes that i'm like oh that guy must have paid to be like an executive <laughs> producer or something like that you know like some random dude with like a baseball hat will show up in a scene and i'm like i don't know but it just adds to the whole like vibe of the film you know yeah yeah the grittiness i i love that stuff man yeah because for me when when horror is too polished I'm not, again, nothing against the newer stuff. You know, there are like, dude, I, the Hereditary I thought was really good. I also like Midsummer. I mean, that's like true, unique, we, like that's disturbing shit, you know? Yeah. Midsummer, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it because it reminded me too much of like, like Wicker Man, you know what I mean? Yeah, it and, did have that vibe. It really yeah, did. And Wicker Man is one of my all-time favorite movies. The um, original one. Yeah, the original. Yeah, well, there's the Cage ones, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> uh. It's, there's that yeah the Nicolas Cage one and then also has like a very brief James Franco um cameo at the very very end <laughs> of the oh, wow I didn't know that yeah like in the last scene it's like they added it they're like oh we got this hot new actor let's put him here let's tag this other silly <laughs> ridiculous Terrible. yeah but the original Wicker Man is like just hits all the boxes for me all the stuff that I really like all that weird British like occult stuff you know yeah yeah but uh, but but Hereditary, I really really liked Hereditary. I thought yeah. that was awesome. Totally, man. It unexpected, you know. Like I heard rumblings that it was pretty cool, and I ended up seeing it. I'm like, yo, this is like actually, not everyone got it though. I've noticed some some people really didn't like it, and I think they expected it to be like The Conjuring or something like that, right? For me, it was more, again, it was more of a, an occult kind of thing. And I think that shit really creeps me out personally, you know, and it was just too real, man. Like when, you know, I don't want to give it, give it away, but like when certain people died in the, th in, in the movie, it was just too real. It was just too realistic. <laughs> you know and what I mean? It's like, it was effective. It was very, you felt it, you know, the really, the, the, the thing that I got the biggest kick out of is like, you know, I, I saw it in the theater, like right before, right when it came out. So all the trailers had that, that. That, that girl in it you know yes you, um, yes. you know the funny looking girl yeah right? exactly yeah and you think that she's but without knowing the the plot you think that she's going to be like a major part of the film exactly like it's going to circle be a, a, like her and some bizarre stuff right they pull the and psycho she just gets like fucking killed Dude, like and like in a way that's like movie. so disturbing it was like that's the thing that that whoever writes that ari i forget his name the, the director ari slash Aster, writer yeah Dude, mm -hmm. he gets in your head like in a way that's just it's even well with Midsummer for me, the most disturbing part of that entire movie is the first scene when the girl is talking to her sister who's, you know, has issues. Right. Yes. And when they showed the debt like that to me was the most disturbing part of the whole movie. It's the first yeah. 10 minutes. It was like, dude, that's that's too realistic. Like because I can imagine that happening like that playing out like that. It wasn't like, again, a CGI goblin coming out of the woods and stabbing somebody like that doesn't do anything for me personally, but like the way that he portrays certain 
occurrences and deaths again i don't want to give anything away um it's disturbing it disturbed me you know and it, it a lot of stuff doesn't disturb me too much really honestly because i've seen so many horror movies at this point but his his writing uh is pretty effective in my opinion i didn't see his newest movie with joaquin phoenix though have you seen that yet not yet i i um i saw a trailer for it and i'm like man i don't know about this you know it's um it, I'll, I'll see it eventually yeah but i'm not rushing out to see it in the theater you know what i mean yeah, I've heard mixed things. Some people, I think, really loved it. Other people, I don't know if it's really a horror movie, but um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what he can do outside of of like the Hereditary slash Midsummer Jam. You know, you know what's really what I'm excited about is there's the, there's going to be a new Nosferatu. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yep, Robert oh, Eggers uh, is doing it. He's the guy who did uh, the Northman and um, the Lighthouse and all that stuff. Oh no way! Yeah. Yep. Dude, that's which is funny because. Um, a uh, little connection there. Uh, what's his name? The dude that's in the White House, in the in the lighthouse. Um, not not uh, not Pattinson, the other guy. What's his name? Defoe. Yes, William Defoe. I don't know if you know this. Played Nas, played played Max Shrek mm -hmm. in uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which Shadow is the about Vampire, the, it's yep. a, that's a great one. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's it's a fictitious yeah. story about the making of Nosferatu, which I thought was a great movie. But it's funny that that director is doing Nosferatu. You, you know, you had that. that he, he's not involved. I'm going to assume, right? Um, no. That's uh, yeah. It's funny. Like Nos in in, in um, Shadow of the Vampire, Max Shrek is actually a vampire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's so I love awesome. that, dude. I love weird stuff like that. I thought that was a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. That's um, like that that version of like you know, that, that count Orlock, you know, image is, is I think really cool. It's like one of yeah. my favorite vampire sort of, uh, you know, depictions, you know, totally. like you, even when you watch the silent film version of it, it's like, it's creepy as hell, man. It is. It really is, man. Even to this day, even though it's so normalized, cause I've seen it so many times to this day, when you watch some of that footage, I'm like, yo, that is, that is creepy. It's really effective. Yeah. No, definitely. I just watched it. I watched it recently. I have, um, I have it on Blu-ray, and I also have that that Werner Herzog remake of it. Um, with uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a there's a Nosferatu. It's like German and in English, and it's it's got uh, Klaus Kinski in it and stuff like that. Oh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, and obviously yeah. there's Salem's Lot, which has a Nosferatu kind of thing in Salem's Lot, right? If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, yeah. Barlow, Barlow is uh, straight up like ripped off of uh, yeah. Nosferatu. But yeah. yeah, no, I think I do know, I have it in my head of another Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, all right. But is, is it called Nosferatu? Or they call it something else, the remake. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's called Nosferatu and, um, Werner Herzog, uh, directed it. And, um, it's a, it's, it's a, there's a, there's a version in German and in English. And it's not dubbed, actually. It's oh. like they straight up filmed it in both English and in German. Oh, are you <laughs> serious? They refilmed the movie twice? If I'm not mistaken, that's that's because I have both versions and they're not. It's not dubbed. It's just that's like crazy. English in one. Yeah. Damn. Well, I know and, the uh, original. Isabella Johnny's in it. Who's like uh, she plays like um, you know Mina or whatever, and uh, that character that would that would be Mina from the Dracula. You know, this is basically it's a ripoff. It's a retelling of Dracula. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just well, like I don't know. It's just uh, Bruno Gantz is in it. Who's like you know awesome. It's like. I don't know. It's just a cool like re re visualization of the whole story, you know. I gotta check that out, man. I don't think I've ever. I, maybe I've heard or seen images from it, um, but I have never seen it all the way through. That's interesting. And it's not silent, yeah. obviously. It's not a silent. No, no, it's you know. And, and Herzog's always has an interesting take on it. Do you ever see his version of um of a uh, bad lieutenant Werner Herzog? No. no. <laughs> 
if, if you're familiar with the original, it's like an Abel Ferrara, like bad cop movie, like bad lieutenant from the 90s. It's like Harvey Keitel is like just like going buck wild in New York City, like smacking people and like you know, doing drugs and stuff. You know? <laughs> and um, like Herzog didn't remake it, but he kind of took inspiration from that film yeah. and made another film that takes place in New Orleans with Nicolas Cage as the as the, uh, you know, as the cop. Is and it recent? Like, um, this it came out like maybe ten years ago. Oh, okay, so pretty recent. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's not that's not that old, you know. And the thing that I always thought was the funniest thing about it is like he's a cop, right? But he doesn't. He's carrying his handgun around, just like stuffed down the front of his pants. Like this, he doesn't have like a <laughs> like a holster for it or anything like that. He's just like walking around with like his like departmental piece like stuck in the waistband of his of his slacks. You know, <laughs> what's the original called? Uh, the original is called Bad Lieutenant. Bad right? Lieutenant. Yeah, and the, and the remake, well, it's not even a remake. The Herzog version yes. of that is called Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. That's awesome, man. I got to check. It's I, like I both love... of them you should watch side by side. You yeah. Know, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of scenes in there that are like, um, you know, mirror images of each other, I guess. Like one, yeah. like there's a famous scene in the first one of Harvey Keitel like hassling these two young girls driving around New York city. Like, you know, they have like a headlight out or something like that. So he like harasses these two women, these young women. And of course he's like, you know, where are you guys from? And he's like, New Jersey. <laughs> these two girls, like bridge and tunnel chicks. Love it. And they're like, they're at the cat club in Manhattan or whatever. It's just like very nineties. You know what I'm saying? Dude, it sounds right up my alley, man. I got a bad Lieutenant. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the one in new Orleans, there's another, hassling of like a young woman scene in there too which is like nicholas cage and smoking crack and like all this stuff it's just real <laughs> grimy like both of them were very grimy movies love it yeah yeah but uh <laughs> so what about your your video channel man it's like um it feels like in the last few years you're, you're more of like uh in an executive role at the studio you know yes. you're not doing everything yes right? Dude, it's such a random. If you would have told me what I would, what I, what I'm doing now, if you would have told me this would this is what I would be doing ten years ago, I wouldn't believe it. Because I, dude, I used to be the guy that I never used social media. Like I, I, I would just watch YouTube, having let alone having a YouTube channel. Here, here's the story with that. So, I don't even know why I did it. I think because so many now, obviously, a lot of because of technology, you have a DAW, you have Pro Tools. Like most people in bands have Pro Tools now, or have you know they have self recording, which is great. I think even for bands that don't record themselves, it's a great tool for pre production. It's important. I think everybody should have a DAW if you're a musician. But anyway, people ask me a lot of questions, right? And one of the most common questions I get is, how do I get a good guitar recording, right? Because it's hard. It's really it, it's challenging. So dude, on a whim, I put out a video. It was the most basic title ever. It was like how to mix heavy guitars. That's what I called it. This is like the end of 2017. And the, the video, I never have done a YouTube video. I never talked about what I did online at like, you know, tutorials, never shot a tutorial in my entire life. And the video kind of blew up. So like, People were like, oh, do another one, do one. I need, and then people started asking me questions like, how do you mix kick drum? How do you mix bass? And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll make more of these things. I, I don't know. So I started making more. Um, and then people would ask me like, okay, um, could you do a full course? So I, so I put together a course 
And, you know, it's great for someone like me as a recording engineer, it's a great supplemental income, you know? Um, but, but running a YouTube channel, man, it's, it really is a full-time job. Like if you're going to do it like multiple videos a week, and then now I have something called the Pride Box Mix Crypt where like I have students that we mix a new song every single month. So like I have live calls I do in there privately with my community. Um, now I have multiple courses and there's two videos for one to two videos being put out a week. So it's, it's become my main gig. But the beauty of that for me as a producer is now I I only can I can do only the projects that I absolutely want to do, you know, because for me at this point, it's just what I'm passionate about in the studio, like you were saying. So that's what it's become. And I, and I love it. Oh, let's give a shout out to Ben Karras. You know, you're oh, dude. your right hand man. Dude, I can't even, uh, I probably couldn't even have that studio still if it weren't for Ben, to be honest with you, because we've collaborated on so many projects. Um, he do, For a while, he was doing a lot of the recording and I was doing a lot of the mixing. Now it's kind of like where he has his own projects completely, entirely, you know, like where I'm not involved at all. And then we still collaborate on certain things. But yeah, it, and also shout out to Brianna Testa, who who does um, works out of the studio as well. So I have Brianna and Ben that both do work out of the studio. Um, but Ben's there doing, t- he just did two records this month. He did a record with tombstoner not tombs tombstoner uh another great band uh and a band another sick band too called cranial damage you should check them check them out they're brutal crazy like i don't know what the hell you would call them they're they're sick uh both bands are really sick uh and ben just produced both their their records so shout out to ben ben karras the talented ben karras definitely talent super talented violin wielding ben karras Oh yeah. <laughs> so now where, where does everyone, if they want to go to your channel and like, is there a, is there a landing place for all this, all this stuff? Like the studio, oh, yeah. the channel, like you go to a website or what's the story with that? Super easy. If you just go on YouTube and type in Frightbox recording, you will find me. It's right there. And then if you want to visit the studio website, it's simple frightboxrecording.com. Um, and then, you know, if you're interested in the educational stuff, that's Frightbox recording academy.com. But you can honestly find everything from just the YouTube channel. It, all, everything is there. And then the second YouTube channel, Frightbox Productions, is where I host all of our live performances. And that's something. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk to you about that, too. So what yeah. I, I kind of knew about that. But what what's the breakdown on that, on the live stuff? So another another story I'll try to shorten. So I've always been a studio guy. I've never been a live sound guy, right? And around six years ago, a few years before the pandemic, um, there's this local venue by me called Dingbats, which we all know, you know, um, and they needed a sound guy, right? And one of the, I've done work out of another studio called North End, which is more of like a proper studio, really sick place. Shout out to, to, to Ed and JP who own the studio. But anyway, Ed's like, dude, I don't have time to do it. Can you do this sound, this live gig? And it ended up being a gig for the band Psycho Stick, like live sound gig for the band Psycho Stick. And I'm like, I've never done live sound in my life. I, I don't know if I could do this. So dude, I ended up... <laughs> meeting with one of the head engineers at Dingbats. And it was this really talented kid, uh, Cooper Davis, who's a sick live engineer. He showed me, he gave me like a crash course on live sound. Now, luckily there is overlap between live and studio stuff. So the first live sound gig I had ever done is it was a sold out show to the band for the band Psycho Stick. It was a sweaty day, but dude, I ended up becoming addicted to the energy of live sound. So again, something I had no interest in in my entire life. Um, But while doing these live sound gigs, um, I realized, wait a minute, these digital boards, you could record at the same time. I'm like, how come nobody's doing this? So I started experimenting with it, um, at the venue and I, I would put the, these little clips together and the bands really seemed to dig, dig it. 
And uh, in, right before the pandemic, my buddy Ryan Lehman and I started a side business where we were doing this. We were putting on our own shows. I'd record the entire show. If a band wanted to hire us to produce two of those songs, we would do it. Then the pandemic hit. And of course, nobody was in person anymore. And I got really busy with the YouTube channel. So that kind of took over. Um, but now that that has settled down, last year I started it up. I rebranded it as Frightbox Productions. Now we're doing it out of the studio and also out of venues. So I've done, uh, there's a place near us called the Meat Locker. I've done a few Meat Locker shows and produced videos for those. Uh, I just did a live EP with Tombstoner last week uh, at the Meat Locker. It was an like insane show, like packed. And luckily it all worked out great. But um, that's what it is, man. For me, it's I'm combining my two loves, my love for production and, and metal and music and also i want the videos to have an the an old school kind of grindhousey 16 millimeter aesthetic so i'm combining oh, that's those cool yeah and eventually i want to take it to where like we have actual sets so like there's like you know i don't know like a like a like a like an old hotel like an old hotel kind of set or like a, a old diner set like that's that's the level i want to take it because there's an energy to it man having a band play live like you know you guys have done it you know um yeah. Um, I, I love it. I, it's, it's an addiction. Like for me, it's not even about the money. I just, I truly love, uh, doing those projects. It's, it's, it's definitely fun. Like filming something live for sure. You yeah. Know? Like even in like, like in a setting like that, not just like a live show, but when you, you set up in a space and you kind of put the, you know, and play, it's like very interesting thing to do. It's fun, you know, too. Oh, totally, man. Yeah. And even for me, it's fun as an engineer. Cause I love experimenting. You know, I do a lot of, like, I set up a lot of room mics and ambient mics to capture the, I feel like it's an underserved market, man, because there's so much you could do with it and not many people seem to be doing it. I see online people will have really good video production, but then they don't mix the audio or like if they're doing a pop act, like you could tell nobody edited the toms on the drums and the tune, you know, and the vocals aren't tuned and things like that. I, yeah. Tough, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I mean, I know that we've amongst ourselves talked about doing something with you too at some point. We yes. have to have like, I want to have some like new stuff out, you know what I mean? Like something new to, to do to do that with, you know? Oh, you're yeah. You're saying the the live thing, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah! Like maybe yeah. We're, we're working on. We have we have like you know, little you know foreshadowing of a new record at some point, you know. But we're we're working awesome. on new shit too. So I've heard Ninja was telling me. I'm excited to hear it, man. Yeah, I think I think you you would you would appreciate it for sure. Um, a lot of different stuff going in there than we did on the last record. So always trying to move forward, you know. So now it's it's you, Ninja, Drew, and Mo Mo Stern. So the great Todd Stern, yeah, he's he's in the band now. Um, you know, Todd's famous, man. Like everyone knows Todd, either yeah. from being a sick guitar player or bass player. You know, he plays the bass in Psychroptic. That's it. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, or all of his work on the road with different yeah. bands. You know, totally he bad. he's like uh, an entity unto himself. You know. Definitely. Yeah, we've I've known Todd just as long as Ninja, almost. God, we're, we're, we're pushing 20 years, about 17 years or 18 years around there. Crazy, crazy to That's think awesome. that. Yeah. Dude, he's like one of the most um, like on point dudes I've ever met in my yes. entire life. Yeah, I you agree. Know? Yep. It's like, uh, you know, if you, he can do, he can fill almost every role on tour. He can tour manage, he can do, yep. um, you know, merch, obviously, you know, he's a master at all high level, like, people are like oh do merch like sit behind a table like no i mean manage like a merchandise inventory for a major band he can do all that yeah drive he can back up with the trailer yeah. <laughs> which is like always a big you know <laughs> that's like a huge <laughs> drive a trail you know truck with a yeah. trailer which is always a big thing yeah and um 
Yeah, it's funny. Like last year when we did that tour at Origin, we had we had a funny uh, we 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 committed some crimes together too. And now it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's a year. A year has gone by. I think the statute of limitations, you know, ran out on on the crimes we've committed out on tour. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's uh, it's 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 fun, man. It's just like good vibes. Everyone gets along, and you know, it's just cool. And yeah, you, you know, it's it's cool. Like everyone works together. Like that's how I met you through all those guys. And, yeah, know, it's just like a good, it's a good, you know, atmosphere out here. A great dude. What a great group of guys, man. And you know, and it's and it's it's ever evolving. You know, that's how I met Medeiros and all those guys. And yeah, I met guy. It's just insane. The local metal, you know, it's even beyond the local metal. I mean, metal scene at this point, but it's all one giant metal family, so to speak. You know. Yeah, Matt. Matt's um, out on tour with Black Anvil now. He's playing. I it's funny. Himself. I didn't know that until like I saw a picture of him playing in front of this huge crowd. I'm like, oh, that's sick. I had no <laughs> idea until like last week or even less than it was like Monday or something. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's out with them. That's cool. You know that big yeah. tour with Enslaved. That's pretty awesome. You know they're they're playing at Vitus in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop in, hang out, and check those guys out again. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah. But dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, this is going to air after the the Voidscape show, unfortunately. Oh, but, it's all uh, good. The show's, it's all good. The show's tomorrow, actually. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude, it's funny. We had never played together as a band before Saturday, and we already have a show tomorrow. <laughs> That's a less than awesome. I'm going to be there. I'm going to come out for it. Oh, awesome, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'll Thank be you there for coming. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's gonna, I can't wait. It's going to be great to see everybody again, you know, play. All right, dude, thanks a lot, man. Well, dude, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I, I know we talked about it about a year ago, and it finally happened. So um, got to do it again sometime. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's, you know, the, why limit it just in one time? we got so much other stuff to probably talk about. So, Dude, if we're talking about metal and horror, I'm there. We, I could talk for hours about that stuff. <laughs> you got it, man. I'll have you back on sh sooner than you think, man. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. All right, dude. I'll see you tomorrow, man. Take care. Right. Sounds good. I'll see you tomorrow. Later. Bye. I rise beneath the